everyone. It's Gloria, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of Miss Independent. Today, I'm here with my friend Denise, and we will be chatting about buying a property. There is so much to know when you're planning on buying your first place, and we couldn't cover it all in one episode, so this will be, again, a two-part series. This week, we focus on mortgages, but also chat about different types of properties and how to budget for buying a place as well as something you can use to help buy a home that feels illegal but isn't. Hope you enjoy! I am here today with a very special guest, my friend Denise. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for joining me. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Gloria. It's so great to be on the show. I remember back in the day, we briefly worked together. So we've come full circle where we're technically working together again. Yeah. So I work in Toronto. I work in consulting and I am a homeowner. So it'll be a really great episode to talk about all the interesting things about the home buying process and being a homeowner. Yeah, I'm super excited to learn a lot. But before we get into that, my first question for you is what is your relationship with money? I have a pretty good relationship with money. My parents, you know, they're pretty frugal about frivolous spending. So I kind of always had a handle on what I knew was coming in and what was going out. When I started university, my parents also kind of gave me authorization to be in charge of how I manage my money with university. I did have an RESP. So my parents did contribute to an RESP um, that helped with my education tuition. I also got a part-time job and in university I did co-ops. So I calculated how much I needed to spend in order to live within my means and not go into debt. So I have a pretty good relationship with money and I, I do like saving and I do like staying in finding activities that are interesting and fun, but don't cost a lot of money. So today's topic is buying a property. We're going to be talking about a bunch of things because there are so many things that you need to know when buying a house, the different types of properties that you can buy saving for a down payment and what that'll look like, getting a mortgage, finding your property, and other considerations of home expenses and also some perks for first-time home buyers. So let's start off with the different types of properties. Denise, can you give us an overview of the different types of properties that there are? Absolutely. So when you're looking to buy a property, there are a few different types of properties you can look at. You can look at a condo, townhouse, a freehold townhouse, a detached home, or a semi-detached home. Essentially, a condo or a townhouse is usually part of a complex, and a semi-detached home or a detached home is on its own land. You either own a house that's attached to another house, but you own the land of your half, or a fully detached house. Mm-hmm. So the, there are benefits and cons for each type. You basically just have to come up with a list, see what you prioritize um, to decide what is right for you. 
some people who are, you know, busy working professionals, uh, maybe they don't have kids yet, uh, maybe they live downtown, a condo would be a great option because you don't have to deal with uh, a backyard, you don't really have to deal with maintenance, and it's a, just a smaller space to uh, live in, and you don't have to deal with a lot of cleaning. A detached house comes with you know, perks, you have your own house, you usually have a backyard, you usually have parking, and you kind of own this piece of land. However, with a detached home, you have to deal with snow shoveling, with lawn mowing, with general upkeep of your property. So there's definitely some costs there. Something you also want to consider is the age of the property the newer the property, generally in better shape it is, but also that could mean it's more expensive. So especially when looking at a condo, the older condos are usually much bigger, but because they are, you know, 20, 30 years old, they're more expensive. One thing about condos is they have condo fees. So this basically means that it's monthly maintenance that goes into maintaining the entire condo building, especially if you have amenities. This includes maintaining the swimming pool, the gym, concierge, the party room, that kind of uh, costs. And condo fees, I would say in Toronto, run around $80 to $110 per square foot. Really? That's a lot. Yeah, so if you have a big condo, like an older downtown Toronto condo, that's 1,500 square feet, you could potentially be paying 1,400 in condo fees a month. Which is crazy. That could be very close to the amount that you're paying in a mortgage. Yeah, it definitely could. Condo fees sometimes include utilities and sometimes don't. So you definitely want to look into that. We'll talk more about utilities later on in the podcast. One thing that is interesting that some people may not know is that you can take an amount out of your RSP to fund buying your home for the first time. And this is called the Home Buyer's Plan. Denise, would you care to elaborate? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a great incentive for a young professional who has been contributing to their RRSP. You basically get to take out up to $35,000 to your down payment. And this is tax-free. You basically take it out of your RRSP in the year that you are buying the house. You have two years to wait before you have to pay it back. And then you have 15 years at that point to pay it back. So let's say you have $35,000 that you are able to take out of your RRSP for a down payment. That means over 15 years, you only have to pay back 2300 ish a year. And this is such a good deal because you're already contributing and in the future, you can still have this money in your RRSP that you can take out for your retirement. Exactly. But in the meantime, you can use it to basically help pay for your home, which is awesome. Yeah. And if this is the first time you and your spouse or partner is buying a house, both of you will be eligible to that $35,000 home buyer's plan incentive. 
So that's $70,000 combined you guys can take out as part of your down payment, which is an amazing advantage for a young professional who has been contributing to their RRSP. Yeah, no, that's definitely a really good perk. And 70K like will take you pretty far as we'll be talking about later. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing that people want to do when they are thinking about buying a property is to establish what you can afford and what your budget is. From there, then you can kind of look into different types of homes and things like that and think about what you want. But I think the first thing to do is definitely to look around the market and the neighborhoods that you're thinking of potentially buying in and seeing what the price is like and if that's something that you're able to afford. Mm -hmm. It's a really good idea to look at realtor websites like realtor.ca or house sigma or condos.ca to see how much properties cost in the areas you're looking for you may be surprised that some areas might be a little bit more expensive than you'd think and some might be a little less expensive than you think Mm -hmm. and then after you kind of figure out your budget and your neighborhood then you would want to figure out how much of a loan you can take out to purchase this home and that loan is called a mortgage in recent years there have been additional rules called the mortgage stress test and that has kind of made it a little bit harder to get a mortgage yeah so the government implemented a stress test in 2017 basically to ensure that people who apply for mortgages can potentially afford uh, a higher mortgage interest rate. And there is, you know, fiscal policy, economic policy that relates to the economics behind this. But essentially, it just means that it's a lot harder to get a mortgage. Right. There are some elements to the stress tests that are a little complicated, um, but we'll run through them just to get kind of an understanding. So as part of the stress test, the test itself calculates your gross debt service ratio and your total debt service ratio. So what the heck do these phrases mean? So your gross debt service ratio basically is your anticipated mortgage payment per month for a property plus some utilities costs, plus property costs, divided by your gross income for the month, and that will give you your ratio. Mm -hmm. And so what's the limit for that? So what is recommended is the gross debt ratio does not exceed about 32%. Recommended, does that mean that you're still able to get a mortgage if you don't meet this? So the mortgage kind of line is more around the total debt service ratio. And the gross debt service ratio is embedded in the total debt service ratio. Okay. Essentially, it uses the gross debt service ratio and it adds additional debt like credit card payments, car payments, other debt payments. And that will give you your total debt service ratio cost. Mm -hmm. So that amount divided by your gross income would give you the total debt service ratio percentage. Okay. What it is recommended is that it does not exceed about 40% to 44%. So that would be the cutoff. If your percentage is greater, then that means you're not able to qualify for a mortgage? Chances are for that particular mortgage dollar amount, 
you would not be able to qualify. Of course, it is important to talk to a lender to figure out what you can really qualify for with your gross income. Because I'm sure many things can be factored into the equation and you also want to make sure you're capturing all of your debt properly. Yeah, exactly. So it's also really important to know your credit score in this case, because that's also something that they'll factor in when you're potentially looking for a mortgage. Right. So the original stress test rules had considered a minimum credit score of about 600. Recently, actually this past year in 2020, in the summer, the rules have been tightened for insured mortgages, which means that your credit score has to be at least 680 to be able to qualify. So definitely very important to build your credit score up, make sure you're paying your debt on time, make sure you're making minimum monthly payments or more if possible to be able to get your credit score higher than 680. Right. And so you mentioned that It's for an insured mortgage. Could you talk a little bit about what mortgage insurance is and what that means? So basically, if you buy a house with a down payment, if you have a minimum of 20% down payment, you do not need mortgage insurance. If you would like to buy a house with less than 20% down payment, you need mortgage insurance. And mortgage insurance is essentially insurance added on to the total monthly payment in order to be able to get a little bit of extra coverage insurance in the event that you are unable to pay your mortgage. So what that does is that it kind of helps you with your mortgage payments if you're not able to meet it during one month or something like that? Mm -hmm. Mortgage insurance is provided by CMHC, which I think is the Canadian Mortgage Housing Council. So it lets you get a mortgage for up to 95% of the purchase price of a home. It also ensures that you get a reasonable interest rate, even with a smaller down payment. So in Canada, at least, if you are getting an insured mortgage, the interest rates for insured mortgage are higher than an uninsured mortgage, but not astronomically higher. Yeah, that's good to know because there is a thing called a high ratio mortgage, which is typically a mortgage with a down payment of less than 20%. And those do typically have a little bit of a higher rate. And now let's talk about the types of mortgages. I know that there are fixed versus variable, open versus closed. Mm -hmm. The two main differences between mortgages, fixed and variable, essentially means that a fixed rate mortgage uses a fixed interest rate that's usually determined by your lender that relates to the Bank of Canada rate plus or minus a certain percentage. And a variable mortgage rate is the same thing as a fixed, except that if interest rates change, your variable mortgage will change with interest rates. So a fixed mortgage is good if you are risk adverse because you can lock in on a certain rate and you can guarantee for the time of your mortgage, it'll stay that rate. A variable mortgage, if you are more risk taking, could be a benefit because historically variable mortgage rates have been lower than fixed mortgage rates. 
Right. So when you have a fixed mortgage, for example, how long would you have to lock that in for? Typically, how long are the mortgage terms? So mortgage terms actually can vary depending on your situation. You know, I would say typical mortgage terms are five years. However, you can get a mortgage for one year, for two years, for three years, for five years, for 10 years, but the rates will be different in each case. So it's good to talk to a mortgage broker or your bank to get the details on what rates they can provide for certain mortgage terms. Right. And what about an open-ended mortgage versus a closed-end mortgage? Mm -hmm. So an open-ended mortgage is essentially a mortgage that can be paid off in full at any time with no penalty, whereas a closed mortgage allows only a limited lump sum prepayment and includes a penalty if it is repaid in full. So I'm honestly going to say not many average home buyers could afford an open mortgage in the sense that they're going to drop $500,000 in their mortgage, you know, in year two of owning a property. If you are going to be paying your mortgage over the course of 25 years, a closed mortgage is a really great idea. And you can choose to prepay a limited amount if you desire. However, with mortgages being so low in interest right now, it's actually more beneficial to pay the minimum mortgage monthly amount. Don't prepay additional money into your mortgage. Instead, invest in a vehicle, a savings vehicle that will guarantee you a rate of return greater than your mortgage interest. Mm-hmm. And then you would be basically making the difference on top of that. Exactly. Let's go through an illustrative example to explain how an average couple making kind of an average salary would be able to budget for buying a property. Okay. So I'm going to run through the numbers if this couple has a 20% down payment. And then I'm going to run through the numbers if this couple does not have a 25, 20% down payment. Okay. In both scenarios, this couple makes $65,000 each a year. So their gross income combined is Mm $130,000. I'm going to assume they can get a mortgage rate of 1.75%. At this time, there are definitely options available at that cheap or lower. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to assume that this couple is looking for a house that is total valued at $650,000. Okay. So if this couple wants to save a down payment of 20%, it would be $130,000 down payment. They would have to put up front as part of the payment. If this couple does not put 20% down and they want to put down less, the minimum that they are eligible to put down would be $40,000. Now, how am, how am I getting this number? With an insured mortgage, the way that your eligibility is calculated is that for a property worth less than $500,000, the minimum down payment is 5%. For a property in which the value exceeds 500000 but is not more than a million dollars, 
there is a minimum of 5% on the first 500,000 and 10% on the remainder. So 5% times 500,000 plus 10% times 150,000 gets you a $40,000 down payment, which approximates 6.2%. In these scenarios, the $130,000 down payment is quite a bit of money. Yeah. So like, you know, I said before, consider seeing how much you can take out of your RRSP. If you can take $35,000 each out of your RRSP to $70,000, then you have to save $60,000. Yeah. So you're a lot closer to that 20% down payment amount. Mm Mm-hmm. With a $130,000 down payment on a $650,000 home, you're expecting approximately a $2,140 per month mortgage payment, Mm -hmm. considering using a 1.75% mortgage rate. Right. If you go through with mortgage insurance with a $40,000 down payment on a $650,000 home, the average monthly payment is $2,610, which does include the insurance premium. Right. So it's not even that much more, really. Yeah, it's about a $500 a month extra. Keeping in mind, part of that additional cost is related to the fact that you put $90,000 less down. Yes. So, of course, you would be paying more. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to only put a down payment of $40,000, potentially that $35,000 RRSP uh, home buyer plan incentive gets you really close to the minimum down payment you'd be eligible to getting. Mm -hmm. Does the mortgage insurance percentage change depending on how much you put down? Yep. Okay. So mortgage insurance over the course of its term ends up being, you know, anywhere from like 20 bucks a month to 100 bucks a month, Mm -hmm. give or take. So it isn't that much more. If you take mortgage insurance for 95% of the value, it is 4% of the overall value of the property. So in this case, it's about 24,400 over the value of the property. And then you divide that by 25 years. So you're looking at not too much a month. Yeah. When you think about it on a monthly basis, it's actually not that much. And you're able to maybe put the rest of the money into an investment vehicle that will earn more money in the span of time that you would be spending mm-hmm. trying to save up that extra amount for the 20%. So in this market, in this economy, it could potentially be a good idea to take on that mortgage insurance. But again, it's important to look at what works for you. Mm-hmm. And you can look at the mortgage insurance chart to see what percentage of premium would be required depending on the amount that is insured. So 95% is 4% and it actually goes down as the insured amount goes down. So like 70% insured is less than 4%. I think it's maybe like one or 2%. Right. And I will link that chart in the show notes if you are interested in learning more. 
Mm-hmm. What if I am an average person, but I don't have a partner to buy a property with? What are my options? Can I get someone to help me with it? Absolutely. So there's something called co-signing, which essentially means that another party will sign onto a mortgage to guarantee that one, if you cannot make the mortgage payments, they will be on the hook to make the mortgage payments. And two, their purchasing power is added on to your purchasing power. Mm -hmm. So if you make $65,000 annually and one of your parents makes $100,000 annually and they own their home and they have no debt, let's say, then their purchasing power can potentially increase the amount you can qualify for a mortgage by that $100,000 gross income. Right. That's good to Mm -hmm. know. In general, you can kind of think of how much you can qualify for a mortgage as approximately five times your gross income. So if you're making $65,000, multiply that by five, it is $325,000. And that will buy you what? A den? (laughs) A den in Toronto. Yeah. So in in downtown Toronto, $325,000 does not go a long way. A shack. (laughs) You definitely have to go further out into the outskirts of the GTA for a property in that price range. But if your parent helps and co-signs $100,000 plus $65,000 times five gives you an $825,000 potential total value in terms of your home buying power. Right. So that gives a lot more leeway Mm -hmm. in terms of what you're able to Mm -hmm. buy. Of course. Although that doesn't mean that you're going to take out an 800k mortgage because that probably is not a smart idea. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really helpful for a parent to help co-sign when the property value is a little bit higher than out of your reach, but you calculate mortgage payments and you're still able to pay them yourself without your total debt service ratio being too high. Right. Now we know what a mortgage is. If we're going to try and buy a house, should we get pre-approved for a mortgage? And what does pre-approval consist of and what does it mean? So a pre-approved mortgage essentially just means that you go to your bank or you go to your lender and you run through the numbers and you calculate how much you're eligible to buy and you pre-approve that mortgage in advance and it usually is good for about six months. This is useful if you're buying a property in a hot real estate market because a buyer who doesn't have any conditions on the purchase of a home who has a pre-approved mortgage looks more incentivizing to a seller and they're more likely to go with them. Right. Because if I'm pre-approved for a mortgage, that means the bank is willing to lend me this amount. Like, I don't need to go out and be like, hello, like, will you lend to me? Like, I know that I can get this amount. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So in a slower real estate market where houses may sit on the market for a few months, it may not be as urgent to get pre-approved for a mortgage because you're not competing with other potential buyers. Once you are pre-approved, you are under no obligation to go with that bank that pre-approved you. Nope, nope. I think that if you buy a house, (laughs) you probably should 
figure out if you don't want to go with that pre-approved mortgage lender that you quickly get approved with another lender. (laughs) Yeah. But if you get pre-approved for a mortgage, you are not on the hook to buy a property. You can home shop, condo shop for the six months that you're eligible to be pre-approved. And let's just say you don't find anything that suits you or you get outbid and you're unable to make a purchase that can expire and you can go through the process to re-pre-approve for another six months. Mm -hmm. And is that different from like shopping around for like what the best rate you can get is? What you would want to do is you would want to shop around first, get a good rate first. And then once you find that good rate, you lock in with that lender to get pre-approved for that rate. What is good with getting pre-approved is you have peace of mind that you know exactly what your budget is. So if you are stuck in a bidding war, you know your max that you can qualify for and you stop and you walk away. Yeah, I think that's really important because... I feel like if you're in a bidding war, it's very possible for you to like try to bid higher if you really want this property. And then you're like, oh, but no, I can't because that is not, that is out of my budget. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that is all the time we have for this week. Please tune in again next week for part two, where we cover getting a real estate agent, budgeting for home expenses, and more. As the aspiring Miss Independent, this is Gloria signing out. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And if you're using Apple Pods, please toss me five stars. It would help me so, so much. So see you next time. Until then, stay healthy and grow wealthy.